it's a privilege or not, actually. Chloe, Chloe went shopping all day in Brighton, and um, I had the privilege of looking after my four boys. I was left in charge. Ish. <laughs> but I tell you what I noticed is, it's absolutely incredible. I, I am amazed at how Chloe manages to get so much, how, how she manages to get so much done. Because I tell you, I, I was at a real loss because it was, it was the Grand Prix highlights in the morning, okay? It was, it was then um, Ireland v Wales, followed by, <laughs> followed by, England, by England v Scotland, then the football results. I tell you, I really found it hard to fit anything in at all, to be quite honest. I don't know how she manages to do it. So, um, but no, they, you, you guys do absolutely, um, you do absolutely brilliant. We're going to carry on our Acts of Courage series, so if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Acts chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, don't worry, the words will come up um, uh, behind me. But it is also um, our baby Thanksgiving meeting as well. And it's an opportunity for us um, to show the central place that family has and the intrinsic worth of every human being, from the smallest, most vulnerable, and we'll be seeing some of those in a little while, right away maybe to the most powerful people that there are, the intrinsic worth that human beings have. And it's a chance for us as a church family to stand with these family units and to say we're with you and we're supporting you and we're for you to pray for them and to bless them as well. Now, it takes real courage to be a parent, doesn't it? Yeah? It takes real, real courage. I mean, the things that... I mean, there's loads and loads of good times, but there's real tough times as well, isn't there? Whether it's when, when you're facing sickness, maybe with your child, or difficulty. Maybe it's in schooling situations. Maybe it's, maybe it's as the children get a little bit older and they're leaving home and you're handling all of that sort of thing. I mean, you might be quite keen on it as well, but there would be, uh, there would be some emotional loss um, as well. Whether it's just trying to pay the bills for the family, it, it, it can be really tough. For some of you, it's being mum and dad. Now, I, found it hard, I find it hard enough being a good dad, but when, when yesterday Chloe wasn't around and you're just sort of trying to, to, to do both, it's... It's hard. You need real courage. You need real courage. And this morning we're going to consider what is the Christian source of courage? What is it that, that enables us to be courageous in the things that God calls us to do? And maybe, maybe you're, you're here today and you're a parent, or maybe you're here today, you're a teacher, a nurse, a social worker, a carer, a grandparent. What's your source of courage as you face the challenges and the difficulties that are all around you? Now, this morning it's me speaking, as you can tell, but this evening it'll be Andrew Bunt. So he will be uh, looking at this passage um, in the evening meeting. So I'm going to pray and then we're going to dive into, into this passage. Lord, I do want to thank you so much, Lord, for every single mum in this room. Lord, we're so grateful to you for them. We're so grateful, Lord, for the family unit. And I, I just want to pray for a massive blessing upon them today. I pray, Lord, that they would know our love for them and appreciation and honouring of them. But they'd also, this morning, know something afresh of your love. 
for them as well. Lord, I ask you, please enable me to communicate well. And I pray, Lord God, will you open our hearts and our minds to hear your word. We ask that in your precious name, Lord Jesus. Amen. So I'm going to speak for about 20 minutes. um, And the children are going to come in before we do the baby Thanksgiving um, part. The book of Acts, and this is where I'm going to be speaking from, was written by a man called Luke. He was a doctor. And it's the second of two volumes um, that he wrote. And he's concerned about the truth about what Jesus did, but also the truth about what the early church did. How did the church start? What did it look like? And then what did they get onto? And at the beginning of Luke, it says that he's written an orderly account so that we can have certainty about these things. And you may be here today and you've come because, be kind, you've come because you're polite and you got invited by someone. And you may think that Christianity, you know, well, isn't it just a bit made up? It's a bit like Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. It's just a bit of a fairy tale. But actually what we believe is based on an orderly account so that we can have certainty as to what happened. And it's these things that we're going to be looking at together this morning. And as we pick the story up, we're picking it up on the back of this man, Jesus, who's lived and he ministered for three years. He died on a cross. He was buried in a tomb. He rose again, and he's left, and he's left his followers on their own. Just before the passage we look at, though, we find that God has poured out a real blessing upon them. He's poured out his Holy Spirit on his followers, empowering them to be incredibly bold in the course of very, very difficult circumstances. So Peter stands and he addresses a big crowd of people who are gathered from many different nations. It's not like this sort of church nation, it would be like uh, a church group, it would be like going down into Priory Meadow, the shopping centre in the middle of town, and doing it down there. Thousands of people would have been there. And he wants them to understand everything that has been happening over the last few years. He wants them to know what has been going on so they can have certainty about these things. So what we're going to do, picking up in verse 22 of chapter 2, We're going to just take this passage in sections and I'm going to explain what it says. So it says this, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, the man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. The Christian faith, what we believe, what I believe, and what so many of you believe, is based around one man, a man called Jesus, who came from a village in Nazareth. It's, it's a fact. It's, it's what happened. And over the last three years, he's been doing mighty works, he's been doing wonders, he's been doing signs, some miracles and healings. This is what's been going on. These signs were done in their midst. This crowd, I want you to imagine, Jesus is speaking and this crowd is in front of him and they knew this Jesus that that Peter was talking about. They, They knew him. He'd been in their streets. He'd been in their towns and their villages. He'd, he'd spoken to their neighbours and their colleagues. This wouldn't have been unfamiliar. It's not, not like we're hearing it now, something that happened a long time away in a, in, in, a, in a distant nation. This would have been what they'd have seen. I live in Oxford Road in Hastings. It would have been as though he'd gone down there and he'd spoken these things. He'd been in and out of houses in Oxford Road. That's what it would have been like to them. 
around Jerusalem, Galilee, and Judea. And these signs, these acts, were pointing to something. They were pointing to who Jesus was and what he came to do. It wasn't just nice things. I mean, can, can you imagine? You come into this room and you're sick. You walk out of it healed. And you think, wow, now that's good in its, own, in its own right. I mean, it's a bit hard to get your mind around if you've never heard these things. It's a bit, bit odd even. But, but it wasn't that in itself that was important. It was pointing to who Jesus is. It was pointing to why he came. And the streets of Jerusalem would have been full of stories about this man. It says in, it says in the text, as you yourselves know. And these stories would have been particularly fresh because just 40 days earlier, Jesus Christ had been crucified. This man, this miracle worker, had been killed by the religious leaders and the Roman authorities. This has happened according to God's definite plan. It might even be hard to understand why on earth would Jesus' father even arranged it like that, and it's, we, we get onto that, but, but it happened according to a definite plan. It wasn't just a miscarriage of justice, although it was an incredible one. He then goes on and says, This Jesus God raised up, and of that we all are witnesses. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we all are witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. Jesus Christ died, he was buried, but he rose again from the dead. And it says, and Peter said, look, I am a witness of this. I've seen it. He appeared, it says in the Bible, to over 500 different people over a period of 40 days. I mean, that's not just, that's not just the odd person that lives at the corner of the street who might have seen it in the dim light of day type stuff. 500 people over 40 days he appeared to him. He ate with people, he spoke to people, people, people physically came into contact with him. This Jesus, he was dead. But he, was, he rose from the dead. I mean, it's an incredible event. And this is what Peter primarily wants to communicate to the thousands of people that are stood in front of him. At one point, Jesus' body is cold and lifeless. It's, it's way beyond the point of resuscitation. I'm no doctor, but Google tells me That after about four, after four minutes, four minutes after someone stops breathing, their brain starts to die, and pretty soon after that, they they are they are dead. Jesus was buried in a tomb for three days on the back of a Roman execution, and they they were good at what they did. Jesus was dead. Peter was a witness of it. Luke had written an orderly account so that people would understand it. And it says in verse 36, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain. Peter said, I want you to know for certain. I don't want you to be in any doubt about this. I want you to know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. This isn't 
just a story of a man who suffered a great injustice. God the creator, the sustainer of all things, has made this Jesus both Lord and Christ. And the fact that he was raised from the dead proved that he was the promised Messiah. You see, Israel was waiting for this Messiah. They were waiting for him to come. And the fact that he didn't stay dead in a tomb, like, you know, if any of us had been crucified, we would still be in a tomb now. But Jesus Christ was crucified, and the Father raised him from the dead. The dead could not hold him. And the amazing thing is that the people that were stood in front of Peter as he spoke, they'd witnessed the court case. They'd witnessed the sentence. Some of them would have seen Jesus hanging on a cross. Some of them may have seen him being carried away and laid in the tomb. And Peter stands in front of them and says, This Jesus, he has risen from the dead. He's no longer in the tomb anymore. Although rejected and killed by the residents of Jerusalem, he was raised from the dead by death. And this is what gave the apostles incredible courage to be so bold. I mean, these guys were fearful. And, and then in front of thousands of people in Jerusalem, they are so bold. Why? Because they know not even death could hold Jesus. It's incredible. I said earlier that the Christian faith focuses around one man, Jesus. Well, it, it does. But actually, it focuses around one particular act. His death, his burial and the fact that he's no longer in the tomb, that he's been raised from the dead. And if that did not happen, there was no point ever building any great cathedrals, no point in having the Catholic Church, the Anglican Church, us as a church. If Christ did not raise from the dead, there's no point having a church because there's no hope. There's no hope for any of us. But the Bible says he did. He rose from the dead. And because of that, we have hope. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? See, when they heard Peter's words, they took this personally. They were involved, some of them, in his execution at one level. At least they stood quietly by and did nothing to interrupt it. You know, what should we do? The Messiah they've been waiting for, for for centuries they'd been waiting for this Jesus to turn up. They didn't know what he would look like. And the reality is when he did turn up, most of them missed it and didn't realize it was him. What shall we do? And it says they were cut to the heart. They had an understanding of what had happened, but there was also an emotional response as well. This, this, I've done something bad. I, I should not have been involved in this. How could they have missed it? How could they have missed it? The fact the Messiah had stood among them, he did these mighty works. He spoke as one with authority. He was like no other man that has ever lived. How, how could they have missed it? But they did. And the, and the Bible's pretty clear, actually. If we'd been there then, we'd have missed it as well. We wouldn't have seen it. We wouldn't have known what was going on. Brothers, what shall we do? Is there any hope for us? Can we do anything to change this tragic event and Peter said to them repent and be baptised every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off everyone 
whom the Lord our God calls to himself. That the, pro- the promise was for them, that great crowd. In actual fact, it says later that 3,000 people responded to Peter's message that day. Not a bad response, is it? But actually, it's not just limited to that generation, that time, that nation. For the promise is for you, yes, but for your children and for all who are far off. It's, it's, it includes us as well. This, this isn't a religion just, just, just for the Israelite nation. Something to be based in the Middle East that has no relevance for us. This isn't a Western religion either. It's a truth that changes lives right around the world. Not dependent on culture or background or finance or education. It has a hope for every single human being that's ever born. They understood something. They understood who Jesus was that he was the son of God. They understood what had happened to him. They understood why it had happened. They understood that they needed forgiveness of sins, that they'd been involved in something that was terrible and awful, and yet actually within the core of their being, actually they lived in a way that was offensive to God. They understood these things. They understood that Christ had died for them. And they believed the message. They, they understood it and they believed it to be true. They repented, it says. It says they had a change of thinking that, ch- that led to a change of life direction. In a sense, what they said is, I believe that Jesus died for my sin. That he carried it and he took it. I give it to him in repentance and faith, knowing that I can't deal with it, but Jesus Christ can. And just as Christ was raised from the dead, so I can have new life in him. This is the foundation. This is the heart of the Christian message. Just as I close, I've got just five minutes. Just as I close, I just want to read you another verse. And it's out of Matthew. These are words that Jesus spoke before he was crucified. It says, at that time, it's Matthew 18, verses 1 to 4. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst in the midst and he said to them truly I say to you unless you turn and become like a child or like children you will never enter the kingdom of heaven whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven there there is something in the Christian message that offends the mind and convicts the heart and even in what I've shared today I understand for for many of you, you might think, I, I just don't believe any of that's true. It's, it's dead people don't raise from the dead, sick people don't get healed. That stuff just doesn't happen. There's something about the Christian gospel that offends the mind and convicts the heart. And to become a Christian, you don't need to throw your mind out. But it does say in that passage, that though, that you do need to humble yourself. There's there's something different. There's a a way of thinking I have never considered before. If I'm going to 
consider something that for the last 45 years I have never considered before, I'm going to need to humble myself. I'm going to need to try and just consider, could it be right? Could it be true? You can never be too sinful for Christ's love. You can't do anything that can position yourself in a place where Christ will not love you and help you and save you from your sin. You can never put yourself in that place, but you can't be too proud. So you can have a mindset that says, I'm not even going to consider these things. And that can be an obstacle to finding out whether this is true or not. The disciples were arguing about, in this passage, who is the greatest. They've missed the whole humility thing. It may seem foolish or far-fetched, but I, I want to encourage you. It's worth considering. You must. If I can be so bold. Because although it may seem like foolishness, to those that have received it's the power of God to change lives. In a few moments, Santino is going to come and uh, lead the baby Thanksgiving part of our meeting. And, and certainly my prayer my hope and I know the parents' prayer and hope at this time would be is that they, that they would understand this truth that I've been speaking. That they would put their faith in Christ. That they would repent of their sin when they're old enough to do those things and they would be baptised. No one else can make that decision for them and this morning is not some ceremony Christianising them. It, it, it doesn't work that way. It's not making them a Christian or anything like that. That's a decision they need to make. On that day when Peter spoke, it was down to each individual to say, how am I going to respond to what I've heard? I can either believe and repent and step into it, or I can say, no, I'm not going to. And so parents can't do this for their children. But what we are going to be doing is giving thanks for each of these little lives. We're going to be thanking God for the preciousness of each baby and child that comes to the front. And I know you're going to agree with me in that, aren't you? In doing that. It's an act of worship to God. We're going to pray for their safety and we're going to pray a blessing upon them. We're going to pray for parents. That God will give them great grace and patience and wisdom in everything they're going to need over the next, oh, what is it, 65, 70 years probably you're going to be looking after them. And as a church, it's an opportunity for us to stand with them. As a church family, we've not done it quite this way before. We are changing what we're doing. But this is an opportunity for us, church, to stand with them and say, do you know what? We're with you guys. We're, we're going to be your support. We're a big family here, and we're going to support you as a little family unit in everything you're going to go through. So Ella and Scott... Willow and Jake, Zane, Shani, Eleanor, we're going to be saying thank you, Lord God, for who they are. Why don't we stand? If I can invite the band back up, please. I'm just going to pray.
want to thank you for the incredible hope that we have in you. I want to thank you, Jesus Christ, that you would do so much for us, Lord God, that you care about us that much. Lord, I, I ask you that this morning we would just, every single one of us would see it afresh. You'd have us help to open our hearts and our minds to the wonderful truth of the gospel, I pray. We thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for your love to us. Amen. What we're now going to do is we're going to sing a song in response to that. It's an incredible hymn. Absolutely brilliant song with so much truth in it. If you've got children in TOTS, which is preschool, could you please go and collect them now so they can be part of what's going on? If you've got children in Energy, which is the five to sevens group, could you go and collect them as well? Because um, the workers won't let them go. But if you've got children in the eights to elevens group, they will be running out to join you. If you don't see them in the next couple of minutes, can you go find them? Because they're probably running around on the backfield. Is that right? Because we'd like to be a whole family together in what we're going to do next.